the 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. This is the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. Well, we're down to one. Tomorrow's the last show of the year, but we're going to make it a good one. We're going to have our pet of the week. We're going to enjoy the tiramisu from Lynn's. Yum, 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 yum. Karen Vealy looks at the top local stories of the year, and uh, we'll have an open line to kind of end things with. This hour, uh, thanks again to Bill Ostrander for joining us. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we include our uh, good friend and colleague, Dr. James Armstead, in our year-end review. And I set this up with Dr. Armstead by asking him to come up with his list of the winners and losers of 2023, specifically in the area of foreign affairs, those on the world stage. So why am I talking when Professor Armstead is back with us? Professor, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Dave. How are you? Uh, good, sir. Always good to hear your voice, and uh, we appreciate you being Happy available New Year, today. By the way. Happy New Year to you, sir. So, speaking of years, let's go back to the year 1954 and the very first NATO General Secretary. Why are we doing that? Well, I thought I would mention Hastings Ismay. Here is the, to my mind, as a, a political analyst, uh, military man, uh, General Ismay, being the first Secretary General, was asked, and you can understand, it's 1954, Britain is still undergoing uh, critical rationing for lots of things, skirts were still short for uh, Queen Elizabeth's coronation because of rationing of material. So things are tough. You know, why NATO? Why are we going to spend money on a new alliance? The war is over. We won. We need to move on. And I think he was the master of the pithy statement for an analyst. What he said was, NATO, it's very simple why we're doing this. It's to keep the Russians out, the Americans in, the Germans down. I don't think you can get more pithy than that. So who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down, where they're going. It's important for us to have some understanding of that, I think, as the year ends. And I appreciate you asking me about uh, who we might talk about. That's a great quotation. I like that. Hmm. All right. So let's. Uh, I've uh, put together a list of names. I thought we would just uh, start talking about some of the major ones. Let's start with uh, Mr. Netanyahu of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. What kind of year has he had, and is he a winner or a loser this year? He's a loser. He's frustrated. Everything he does goes wrong. He comes to, to office uh, and stays in office, Likud party coalition, uh, to the right, strong intelligence, strong defense. I will protect Israel. I'll protect my country. I know how to do it. I spend lots of money on defense. Well, Hamas attacks that Israel doesn't seem to have had good intelligence to know that this was coming, what to do. Even worse, because you can always make a mistake on your intel, as, as we talk in, in a number of scenarios. When the attack happens, the response is slow. That the Israeli Defense Forces 
don't get out to these areas where Hamas is. Uh, there are people who are kidnapped, 1,200 people are killed. Uh, it, it's, it's a terrible situation. And now the response, uh, while militarily effective in terms of going after the, uh, the Hamas terrorists, the problem now is Israel It's losing its moral superiority around the world. So everything he's touched this year has just turned to crap. He's frustrated. He's had a bad year. And there were also reports that Israeli intelligence knew for upwards of a year that an attack like this was going to happen, and they, they didn't think it was credible. They've been seeing things. They, they, they're what we call signals intelligence. It's I don't know what you're saying. I don't uh, have an eavesdrop on your communications, but boy, I see the wires lighting up. I see a lot more communication. People are meeting. People are talking. Uh, I see uh, just lots of things that are happening. Do I put the dots together and figure out what it is you're doing when it's going to happen? That's the key. That's that's fantastic intelligence work. You know, there are a lot of people can get the info. Can you put the dots together, figure it out, and preemptively strike uh, before that happens? Hmm. All right, so happen. if Netanyahu had a bad year and a losing year, give me an example someone on the world stage that, in your mind, Jim, had a positive year who came out a winner. Well, the, the Houthis and the Iranians are winners right now. They have come out really, really well. You haven't heard of the Houthis. Nobody's talking about that. You don't see New York Times talking about the, uh, the Houthis in Yemen uh, as a great revolutionary group. This is the, uh, the new radicals that the world should be afraid of. So as terrorists, they were losers. They were lo- you, t- I, what, what is terrorism? It is the threat or the use of violence to create a political change. That's a terrorist. That's a terrorist. They want to be thought of as something to be feared, something that's, that puts terror when you think about them, puts terror in your minds, uh, makes you spend more money to defend against them, makes you think about changing your politics because of what they want. The Houthis weren't doing anything to anybody. Well, now the Iranians are giving them money and drones and rockets. They're firing at, uh, at U.S. ships. They're firing at, uh, at uh, civilian ships, at tankers and, and freighters that are, that are in the Red Sea. Uh, it's really serious. Uh, since the, the middle of, of, uh, of October, there have been 105 attacks on Americans in Iran and in, in Iraq and in Syria. So 105 attacks on Americans. So they're they're on our sheet now. We're paying attention. They're on the uh, they're on the radar, and the Iranians, of course, uh, they're, they're we've got uh, Hezbollah that they support. Uh, we've got Hamas that they support. So now we're talking about what's the Iranian position? What's going on with them? The Saudis were just about ready to sign a normalization agreement with the Israelis. That we were pretty close. We've been working on this for 25 years, for 30 years, trying to move the Saudis as a mainline Islamic nation to have a regularized relationship with the Israelis. We were almost there. Well, the Saudis have pulled out of those uh, those meetings. They're not even talking about it. And they didn't just pull out and, and, and put the meetings off. They have canceled those meetings. And uh, the uh, 
the crown prince, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, he is now talking to the Chinese uh, about uh, about economic agreements. So these were these were our guys. They were in our backyard. They were in our court. Uh, they played with us. We provided them their defense uh, mechanisms. Uh, they provided us oil, and we had a, a guaranteed relationship since the uh, since the late thirties. And that's now changed. They're looking around the world. They're saying, "Hey, we're the gas station. We're open for business." So, and of course, the Chinese are going to be as their economy continues to expand. Number two, moving forward, they're going to need more oil. So it makes sense for uh, uh, for the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia to think about uh, new plays to go, new places to to do business with. If he's not going to be under the American umbrella. Hi, we're in conversation, with Dr. James Armstead, looking back on the year 2023 and picking the winners and the losers on the big world stage. More of that conversation in your phone call still to come. First, a question. Is your furry friend in need of some TLC? Well, look no further than the new Cuesta Park Animal Hospital at the base of the grade in San Luis Obispo. They're here to provide top-notch care for your beloved pets. With convenient hours Monday through Friday from 8 to 5, they're always ready to help. No need to wait for weeks to get an appointment. Cuesta Park Animal Hospital offers same-day appointments for both wellness checkups and injury or illness concerns. And for those unexpected moments, they also provide same-day walk-in drop-offs for emergency illness or injury cases. At Cuesta Park Animal Hospital, they believe in advanced diagnostics to ensure the best treatment for your pet. They also offer boarding services and provide loving care for your pets while you're away. So why wait? Visit QuestaParkDVM.com and make the call today to schedule your next appointment. Start the new year off with a wellness checkup for your pet. Cuesta Park Animal Hospital, where your pet comes first. All right, we are in conversation with Dr. James Armstead, picking winners and losers on the world stage from this current year. On the uh, text line, George checks in. Hey, George. Um, what if, as rumor suggests, there is a large deposit of natural gas in the Gaza Strip, not to mention in that waterway? Uh, if that was the case, how would you reverse engineer coming to that point? I have no idea what he's asking. You anything about a large deposit of natural gas in Gaza? Uh, there, there's talks about that, but uh, these are not confirmed. There, there, geologists are speculating that there are gas deposits there, and there might be some room for economic development. I think that's so far away, given the current political situation, that uh, it would be almost impossible to speculate if I had more information, right, which I enough. don't. All right. Uh, in the first segment, we talked about how we thought that Netanyahu came out and the losing end this year, but you thought the Iranians and the Houthis came out victorious. So what about, let's go to another big name, what about Putin? Where does he stand at the end, in, at the end of 2023? I would think Mr. Putin has to be terrified right now. His lightning thrust uh, 20 months ago, 21 months ago, his lightning thrust into the Ukraine, which was going to win in three days, three weeks, you know, we had people saying all of those kinds of things. 
That didn't happen. He, he takes half of his military force, puts it on the ground in Ukraine, and after almost two years of fighting, he's got less than 14% of Indian territory that's being occupied. He's lost 317,000 of his soldiers. He's lost something over 5,000 uh, armored vehicles and lots of other systems, uh, hundreds of aircraft. Uh, he's waiting for Donald Trump perhaps to win, for NATO to come apart. Uh, I don't think any of those things are going to happen. He's got to be terrified. He's, he's, he's a loser. So he's also had a bad year. All right. Well, I think it's only fair then to throw Biden into the mix. What kind of year has President Biden had in foreign affairs? I think Biden has had a good year. He's faithful. He is staying the course. He is uh, channeling where he needs to go in terms of holding NATO together. He's clearly the glue that that's brought it back and has it focused on aid to uh, to Ukraine. He's uh, he's pushing the Israelis to wind down this war to stop the civilian, civilian casualties. He is doing all the right things. It only remains as a matter of time, from my point of view, for the American people to take a look at this man and say, he is doing a good job for us. He's not glamorous. He's not particularly handsome. He's not young and vivacious. And you're not going to mistake him for a movie star. He's getting the job done by going to work every day. But there are two Bidens. One is the Biden who rallied the world around uh, the support of Ukraine, and it's been a big multilateral uh, uh, support. But then, to me, Jim, there's been a different Biden around Israel, is that he has risks, he has risked the condemnation of some of the allies because of the way he's handling Israel. Is that fair or unfair? I think I think that's a fair criticism, and here's what I would say in his defense, that we know that diplomacy is a very complex game, and it's a game that you've, you, you trade off one thing for another. We are very close to the Israelis. They are, in many ways, they're our really only strong ally in the Middle East. They're the other democracy in that area. You know, so it's us, it's them. We've worked together since 1948, since the founding of Israel. What you say in public and when dealing with your ally and how you keep that relationship strong has to be guarded. And hopefully what you're saying in private, and as far as we can tell, we're hearing all the reports he's saying the right things. Does he come out and he condemn Israel like some of our other Western allies are doing? No, he hasn't done that. But we're much closer to Israel than they are. But he does seem to be pushing them in that direction. And those criticisms of Israel are getting stronger and stronger as we move along in this crisis. But you would give Biden, you obviously give Biden high marks for Ukraine. Do you also give him high yes. marks for Israel? I, not as high, but I would like to have seen a little more push uh, against the Israelis. But, you know, we have the practical problem in America, given our, our history, how we do things, that, you know, we have all kinds of feed-ins and flashbacks. And I'll give you one. Being critical in international relations of Israel does not make you anti-Semitic. 
However, we are getting those things conflated, that if you criticize Israel, then you are charged in some quarters with being anti-Semitic. That's not necessarily true, but remember, he's a politician. This is an election year coming up very soon, and and, and with 48 hours, we'll be in the election year. So how he responds internationally, how he responds diplomatically, will always be dependent upon the political situation. It's going to have an effect. Now, there are other names I want to throw out. We want to invite phone calls after the news, but in the three minutes before the news. Uh, what about Nikki Haley and her comments? And I throw her in the mix because former U.N. ambassador, she is running for president. She seems to be gaining support. I have I have nothing against her one way or the other. But she's taken some heat because when she talked about the Civil War at a campaign rally, she didn't mention slavery as being a cause of the Civil War. Well, I, I think Nikki Haley did an excellent job as governor, taking down the Confederate flag after the, uh, the mass killings in South Carolina was a very important step for a Southern governor. Her work at the end seems to be very, very good. That, that everything we saw, the two year, more than two years she spent there, she did an excellent job. She did separate herself from some of the Trump foreign policy in certain areas, which I thought was a good move, one, politically for her, but two, I thought she was doing the right thing in terms of trying to work with our allies, trying to get along with them better. Now, that response last night was absolutely terrible. It's clueless. I don't think she got the question. And the question was about morality and government and the place government has in our lives. Does government do things, should it and should it do things, that are based on moral certainties, where that happens? And she missed the point. She missed the question. Yeah, but the question was also what was the cause, what caused the Civil War? Yeah, and that's the moral issue. It was slavery. And it could have been answered in one word. She could have said slavery caused the Civil War and moved on. And you got the response. I I spent 10 years living in the South. I lived in Virginia, taught at uh, at Virginia schools, uh, in the militia, the Guard in Virginia. And I have to tell you that the term, the war against Southern independence, the war for Northern aggression, those are how the Civil War is described. I'm willing to admit the war between the states. It wasn't exactly a civil war. It was the war between the states. But the war for northern aggression, the war against southern independence, that's a little far. That's a little far. She's educated in the South, and I think you got a southerner's answer politically. All right. And it's very sad. We're getting a lot of answers from Professor Armstead. But it's fair to say that up until last night, she was having a good year. She was having a pretty good year until last night. Yeah. She was. She didn't get the question. All right. So I'll, I'll put her in. I'll put her she in the winter column. To her standard political response to that question. I'll put her in the winter column for now. Uh, we always have a winner with Professor Armstead. We're off to news and traffic and weather. Back on the other side. If you're just joining us. Uh, I've asked the professor to look back this year and pick the winners and losers on the international stage. Who had a good year? Who had a disappointing year? What do you think? We'll find out as we continue. You're listening to The Dave Congleton Show.
It is the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. We're in conversation with Dr. James Armstead. I have uh, asked him to look back on this year on the world stage and assess the winners and the losers. So, so far, we have talked about uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and also uh, Mr. Putin as being losers this year. They both have had an incredibly challenging year. In the winner column, uh, Professor Armstead puts uh, Joe Biden, he puts the Iranians, he puts the Houthis, and we're also nudged Nikki Haley into there, despite what she forgot to say last night. Obviously, as we continue with your professor, since we talked about Putin, let's throw Zelensky into the mix. Where do you put President Zelensky after this year? Zelensky, Zelensky's had a fantastic year. He's a winner. He's been tested the whole year and the year before, and he's not been found wanting. At the very start of the war, he was told that, you know, we'd get him out. We saw that he was important to the country, to the revival of the country. You know, we're, we're going to get an airplane there to get you out. And his response couldn't have been better. It was almost Churchillian. I don't need a ride. I need ammo. The fight is here. Yeah, and but, he's there. He stays. Yeah, but two years later, he's running out of money, running out of time. And he's still fighting, and he's still holding the country together. They're they're going for their second mobilization uh, to bring more troops to the front, and he's pushed the Russians back. Now they're down to uh, to a much smaller piece of the country, about fourteen percent. One point they had almost a third. But I guess the question yeah, becomes: uh, How much longer can he hold out without money? As long as we're willing to back him, he can hold out. And I think that the, the money's coming slower than it should be. Uh, weapons are coming slower than they should be. And that's because we haven't, the rest of the world, when I say we, we haven't got our strategy focused in our minds. We have given him enough so he doesn't lose. We have not decided nor have we acted upon a strategy of let's give him what he needs to win. That's a very different game. So he's doing as well as we've allowed him to do. So I guess at this point we should mention, what about the House Republicans? Because they took over and we had Kevin McCarthy and now we have Mike Johnson and they're trying to go in a different path. Has this been a good year for House Republicans in foreign affairs? It's It's been a terrible year for them in foreign affairs as well as domestic affairs, although that's not my area of competence. But they have not been doing well. They've got a speaker. They had a speaker that, that could be moved, removed by one challenge vote. That happened. It took 15, 16 votes to get him there. It took a number of votes to get the new speaker in, and he can be removed. Uh, we haven't seen a clear focus as to where they want to go as a party. They're the party of no. Uh, with, uh, you know, this starts with, with Obama and health care, that this was thrown into the House. They never made an offering of a national health care program, which is what the people wanted. They were against the one that was put up. Eighty-two votes were had by the House against the, uh, the Obamacare program, but there was never an offering of an alternative. And that's what they're doing with foreign affairs. And we haven't had a strategic offering of where do we go from here? You're, you've got, you're in charge. This is your house. What is it that you want? What's come out of your hearings, your investigations? There are lots of senior Republican statesmen uh, with lots of experience. Uh, you know, those people can be pulled in and talked to and, and a focus made as to what we do. They haven't done that. 
We're and they c- haven't been the party of doing that for some years now. We're in conversation with Dr. James Armstead, giving us his list of winners and losers on the world stage from 2023. Join us. We welcome your phone calls, 805-543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Who had a good year? Who had a bad year? Who had an uncertain year? That's what we're asking. 805-543-8830. Let's talk about China. Xi Jinping is twisting. He's twisting in the wind. He's had everything to make it a good year. The Chinese economy has been growing. He's the number two economy in the world. He's been able to negotiate programs and projects with the Belt and Road Initiative, so land bridge across Asia into Europe to increase his trade, Uh, water bridges across Asia to increase his trade, with the advent of an ice-free Arctic for the entire winter, there will be a northeast passage that Chinese ships will be able to use. He's negotiating with the Saudis on a new oil deal, so his energy problems should be solved. So everything should be in his corner for China expanding and growing uh, political initiatives all across Southeast Asia, across Africa. All of those things are happening. They don't seem to be coming together in a way that he's ready to talk about, that we can see the announcements of a strategic program that says China is having the Chinese century. They, they call the, 18th, the 19th century the century of shame uh, in terms of China being colonized and little bits taken away uh, at its uh, edges and its ports and, and trade deals that were adverse to its interests. Uh, all of those things have been reversed now, but we don't seem to see this new, robust, richer China really moving ahead with a focused strategy to uh, to develop all of these things that they've got. But didn't he, was it to President Biden, he said to someone that he was planning to take Taiwan? He did. He, they've been talking about that for a number of years. In fact, since 1948-49, when the nationalist government moved to Taiwan, it's been the focus that, uh, the, that that's the object of the one-China policy, that when we accepted, uh, with the Nixon administration, we accepted that there's only one China. It's two systems right now, but there's one China. They represent all of it. They should be the recognized government for all of it. Uh, and they're still talking about that. And that's important right now for a number of reasons if you look at the world situation. One is that as Russia goes down, Russia's not doing well, the war bogging them down in Ukraine, China is clearly the this enormous economy, the second largest economy on earth. It is the strongest economy, the strongest political entity in Asia now. Well, that used to be the Soviet Union. Soviet Union's gone. Russia inherited a lot of that prestige, power, the nuclear weapons, the large military, and so forth. Well, now... China is was a, it's clearly now the uh, the senior partner in the Eastern world. On uh, the text line incoming for Dr. Armstead, India would be my nomination for the winningest year. Modi played all sides, and India even landed a rover on the moon. I'd have to agree with that. But my one word for, for Surrender Modi this year is gloating. 
that he has changed the nature of India. India really came into the modern into this century with as leader of the non-aligned movement and had a focus that was more about we will get get along so that we can go along and that's not india anymore india has a strong military they are the largest and more full of the, uh, the the new four nation pact the um, in, in the Pacific Japan India uh, Korea and uh, and, the, and uh, Australia so N- India has a new position in the world they will be the largest economy at their current rate of growth in about 15 years they will have the most people in about 10 years India's place in the world is measurably changing. And we're seeing it with with Modi going everywhere in the world and being respected and treated with a great deal of respect, and people who want to court his favor. And is he is he on good terms with the U.S.? Oh, he's on very good terms with the U.S. We'd like to get them closer, and that is the uh, the new group of four that we're developing out in the uh, Pacific. The uh, our own command in in Hawaii, which used to be PACOM, the Pacific Command, that is now called the India Pacific Command. So India is included in the uh, in the Pacific uh, orientation, no longer part of CENTCOM. All right, we're in conversation with Professor James Armstead. Nice enough to join us to look back on this year and pick the winners and losers on the world stage. We'll come back for a final segment right here on AM 920 FM 96.5. News Talk, KVEC. All right, Dr. James Armstead is our guest. Let's take a call. We've got Alan in San Luis on KVEC. Hi, Alan. Hey, Dave. Hey, Doctor. Hey. First the comment, then the question. Hi. Um, The comment is, as I understand it, when it's about the India-Pacific or Indo-Pacific Command. It's really referring not to India per se, but to the Indian Ocean, which entails several countries. Which entails India. Yeah, right. and, but and not just India, right? That ocean is important, and the country bordering it is important to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's your, uh, what's your question, Alan? The question has to do with, we haven't talked for a long time about Germany and others in Europe that were getting oil, natural gas especially, from Russia and I'm wondering, is that still happening? And in terms of winners and losers, how is Germany and how are the others doing over there? Fair question. Fair question, absolutely. Some, some natural gas is still coming into Germany from Russia. And so how would you rate the, the leadership? Well, my comment earlier, Dave, Dave asked a, a question, a, a follow-on question about... Um, uh, Netanyahu and Biden dealing with him, and I made the statement that diplomacy is complex. There gives, there takes. Well, you're the leader of Germany. You have this foreign crisis. You're responding to it. Uh, you're sending weapons. You're sending money. You're giving public and diplomatic support to the Ukrainians. You also have a nation of 90, over 90 million people uh, in a cold, dark climate uh, where you don't have a lot of solar uh, you don't have a lot of wind. You need gas. You're an industrial nation. Uh, you need oil. You're getting that from other places. You are. They are buying gas from other places now. They're getting compressed natural gas uh, from uh, from other folks uh, in the Middle East and and from us. But uh, they still have to be able to keep 
the lights turned on, the fact was working and people warm. Yeah. Alan? Well, and I'm thinking, though, if they had taken the route that France did and had gone nuclear, they would not have had quite the squeeze they have now. That's, that's true. That's very true. But that, that, that's a long-term, you can't go nuke tomorrow. No. All right. Alan, thank okay, you. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's a long-term policy decision. All right. Uh, if you want to end the conversation, Professor Armstead, we need to hear from you now, please. 805-543-8830. 800-549-5832. On the text line, Professor, someone is arguing Biden should have cut all funding to Israel as they are committing genocide. Hmm. Well, that's that's a tough question. Now, here here we are. Here's here's the problem. Hamas attacks Israel. It is a violent, brutal attack, violates every tenet of international law. Israel responds. The charges in the world community are that the level of collateral damage is too high for the war aims that you have. And we probably need to do another program on international law uh, and on uh, proportionality in national law, how you fight, what level of collateral damage is acceptable. There's not a clear line of distinction. It's just what is beyond the military necessity. Now, that's the issue. That hasn't been tried. We haven't taken that to court. That hasn't gone to a new Nuremberg or up to the ICC, which, by the way, Israel is not a member of the ICC, nor are we. And uh, both nations should be, in my opinion, where those kinds of issues can be uh, can be argued. They can be adjudicated. Yeah, but clearly you don't think all funds should be cut to Israel. No, I do not think that. I, this, this is an ally. Are they going too far? Well, I certainly haven't seen the justification in the number of Hamas soldiers found or killed in fighting, uh, with, given the amount, of, um, the amount of losses on the Palestinian side. All right, other countries. What about, uh, what about the Prime Minister of Great Britain? Prime Minister of Great Britain, the, uh, in, in my opinion, the, um, the the President of France and the, uh, the and the uh, Chancellor in Germany, they're looking, they're jockeying for position. They're uh, they're 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 in a crisis. Uh, they're, they're supporting the Ukrainians, for example, uh, with weapons, uh, with advisors, with money. Uh, they're not getting the world recognition that uh, Biden has gotten the credit for being the leader of putting it together. He couldn't put anything together without these leaders coming to his aid. Specifically, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, I think, is stuck with being in the Conservative Party. His party is dragging him down. He's got some very interesting ideas. But when the party is, the last four Prime Ministers have been focused on Brexit, on on the U.K. separating itself from the European common market. Well, you're in a defense alliance, you're in NATO, you get out of the common market, you get out of the, 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 the civilianized portion, if you will, the economic portion of this joint, this large community of nations, but you're still in the defense part of it. So you're saying to your neighbor, uh, if we're attacked, I agree to defend you, death. I am part of you in anything that happens, but I don't want to have anything to do with you economically. I want to be a foreign nation. I want to be outside. I don't want to be European. 
and the Conservative Party promise that things would be better in the U.K., that the economy would grow faster, tax money would not go to Brussels, it would all stay in the country, there would be a reorganization of the support net, social support net, because so much money was going off to Brussels. None of that's happened. The economy has slowed down. Unemployment has gone up. And all of the, the dire economic presentations by economists before uh, this happened, when the campaign was going on, they've all come true. On the, and the, the Conservative Party hasn't backed away from that. On the and and, and uh, Senate is stuck. On the text line. Uh, could Dr. Armstead tell us what's going on in Japan? It's a general question. What's going on in Japan? Well, that's well, the, it, it's winter. It's cold there. Uh, is, is there something more specific? All I got is what I'm reading on the text. Well, the the Japanese are are pushing their uh, their military, their their naval forces. They're enlarging their naval forces uh, for submarines. Now they're looking at a class a frigate they're buying more building more of their own airplanes building their own ships uh and i would say the japanese are worried about china uh they're getting closer to the koreans uh, and they are starting to work much closer with the australians and the indians this group of four that i was talking about earlier uh japan is the is the nation in that group that's really pushing military reorganization and modernization. Hmm. Uh, Tells me they're worried. Yeah. All right, so looking ahead to 2024, uh, obviously Israel and Gaza is going to continue to be a, a big story. What else do you see emerging other than the presidential election? What do you see emerging this next year that would draw our attention? Well, I see a grinding war continuing in uh, in Ukraine. I think we've got another year of war minimally. I don't see Putin willing to talk no matter what happens on the ground until after the American elections. That he's that a, a, a Trump win that would be very good for him uh, in terms of going to the table and working out some kind of agreement. That there wouldn't be strong uh, for Ukrainian positions. So I clearly see that the Middle East. Uh, I, I see our European allies putting more, a lot more pressure on the Israelis to stop the war in their point of view before they've got a tactical victory on the ground. What I don't see that's probably needed is the Western nations coming together, probably through the UN, to put in occupation forces in Gaza. I don't think Israel can occupy Gaza and create a successful situation, i.e. a reasonable economy, a democracy that's functioning, and bring back the civil society that's been totally destroyed by this this war. It's short, but it's been extremely intensive. It's been very destructive. It's it's the the, the figure I heard a week ago was that forty percent of all the housing uh, has been rendered uh, unuseful mm -hmm. that uh, in in Gaza. Right. So it, we stop the war tomorrow. Where do people live? It's winter in the Middle East, and I've been in Israel and Gaza in the winter time. It's cold there. Right, the people living in tents, disease, the humanitarian crisis—it's—it's it's terrible. This needs 
mm-hmm. to end, but the international bee has to step up and assist. And by that, I mean really assist. Troops on the ground, occupation forces, and we need to help reestablish normal governmental functions. I'm at the two-minute mark with Professor James Armstead. So speaking of borders, as you know, the House Republicans who we talked about are trying to make an issue over what's happening at our border. Do you see more focus on that and debate in 2024? Oh, absolutely. Today and yesterday, we have Secretary Blinken and Secretary Zero from the uh, Homeland Security both in Mexico City talking with the president. This is a major policy issue for the United States in our own backyard. But it's not just the border. It's not just Mexico. It's the entire Western Hemisphere that the pressure on the border stems not only from from the immediacy of our neighboring state, uh, our sister state, but also p- the, the the discordant political situation and the terrible economic situation in the uh, in the Caribbean and in Central America. That we've got countries down there coming apart. We've got gangs uh, that are literally ruining countries there's there's no uh, uh Nicaragua for example where we have uh, literally gang warfare uh going on we're getting the overflow from what's really a combat zone while we don't talk about it in that regard. So we need a policy of being involved in the Western Hemisphere, helping to create a climate of peace, a climate of prosperity, so that we don't have this immigration pressure coming at us. Well, I have to leave it at that. Professor Armstead, always good to have a conversation with you. Happy New Year. You have 30 seconds for a final thought. I think we're going to have to get tanks and airplanes to our friends in the Ukraine. We're going to have to to lead an effort with the Western alliance to put troops on the ground in Gaza, create a stable political and military situation there, uh, while Israel is c- continues to uh, to engage in the police action of going after these Hamas people. This is not a military issue. This is not something that war needs to be prosecuted over a long term. We're out of here. Uh, Professor Armstead, thank you. News traffic weather up next. Dr. James Papp, stay with us. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.